As we open this second sermon, I hope that you'll not forget to consider Ezekiel 16 and its threefold division. The first 14 verses describing God's love for His church. Verses 15 through 59 describing their spiritual adultery. And the last four verses describing His perpetual covenant with them and Him turning them back to Him and receiving them. And it is not the way of men to do such a thing. But He did it for us. I hope that you meant what you just sang, that you'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The Lord Jesus Christ will find out how much you love Him like any good lover would, except Jesus is infinitely superior to all of them, by finding out what you will give up for Him. I have passed such tests of love in my life, and I have flunked, miserably, horribly flunked, such tests of love in my life. And I thank God for a husband that forgives all our transgressions as his wife and spouse when we do flunk the tests of love. But oh, let's prepare ourselves to pass them. Passing a test of love is pleasant to the soul. But we need to be prepared to do that by feeding ourselves on God's Word and feeding ourselves on Christ. Loving Him, considering Him, measuring Him, and finding Him delightful to our souls. Loving His church and His kingdom. Loving His Word and His gospel. I do not say much about this very often. But we just sang, I'd rather have Jesus than to be the king of a vast domain. I once had very carnal ambitions in a big bank. But I can tell you about that test of love, that when it came time to make a choice, It was a grief to me that I hadn't become president or CEO of that bank so that I could have silver-levered that position instead of the one I did. And I remember screaming in my Thunderbird as I drove out of downtown Detroit for the last time that I was sorry I couldn't give him more. When we sing these words, take them and apply them to your life. I don't like to talk about this very often. You hardly hear it from me. But there was a test of love, and I I loved giving him that answer. And I was pounding the steering wheel and screaming with tears streaming down my face that I wish I could have given him more. That it was a pleasure 
to have the executive management of that bank toy with me because they knew that I had made up my mind. It wouldn't matter what we paid you, would it? You're, you're gone. You're leaving. You've been the most enthusiastic officer in this bank. How big's that church you're going to in Greenville? Is the diocese going to help you out financially? Andrew R. Broden, president of the bank, Catholic mentality. All of that is now off the table. You just sang the words, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford. Right. I want to tell you about your husband. He's, he's the, an infinite lover. And he is going to find tests for you and for me. Oh, to God that we'll pass them all and not flunk any. Do you know how many he flunked for me? None. Amen. Did he barely pass them? Did he crush them? Do you know what the Bible says about his death on the cross? He openly triumphed over the devil and destroyed the works of the devil on the cross of Calvary. When the devil thought that he may have had the Lord Jesus where he wanted him, the Lord Jesus won a great victory for me and for you. We sing these words. If we have sung them from childhood, the melody strikes chords in us. And it may be one of our favorites, and it strikes chords in us. But listen, brethren, we can't get by on melodies striking chords in us. We need the words of that song poking and provoking and pricking us in our consciences and hearts. When the book of Proverbs says, and it says it many times, that there is nothing that can be compared to wisdom... Is it just talking about the wisdom in the book of Proverbs on how to get ahead on the job? Is it just talking about the wisdom in the book of Proverbs on how to train a child? Is it just talking about the wisdom in the book of Proverbs that a meal of pitiful fare can be a feast if there's love and peace there? Is that all it's talking about? Or are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Or is the highest level of wisdom we can ever achieve in this world is to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Right. Now that's wisdom. And what are those mysteries? I get to go preach them in Singapore. And I don't care how many show up. You're going to see in the next few hours a letter go out to our near 10,000 subscribers whom we have promised that we would never spam them. But I am going to tell them that we'll be in Singapore and we'll be in Kuala Lumpur and we'll be in Penang. And that if they love the truth, they can be among a small audience to hear someone else who loves the truth. And we'll share the truth with them. I love the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We were speaking at break time about those mysteries. The Catholics stand up every Sunday. And I'm supposed to warn you about Catholicism because the Bible tells me. And they say the mystery of our faith. And they hold up a little cracker. The mystery of our faith. Now the mystery is that they're going to turn a cracker into God. But it's no mystery. It's just blasphemy. 
There's nothing secretive about it because nothing happens except they utter blasphemy. Our mysteries are like this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is the gospel. This is what the church is to be the pillar and ground of. God was manifest in the flesh. Can you get your mind around that one? God fills heaven and earth, but he was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up into glory. Amen. (laughs) I got to travel a little bit for that old employer somewhere in the past and say things about finance and banking, but do you know what it's like to be able to tell people about 1 Timothy 3.16 and to explain those three clauses? It's beautiful. Pray for us. Pray for us for the Lord to open as many doors as possible and to prepare other young men. And I'll be praying for you. It's not for several weeks, but yes, our souls should be getting geared up for the effort. This morning, we considered the dowry that the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for us. And what a lover he was of us. He gave himself. He was torn to shreds with a Roman scourge. He had nails driven through hands and feet. His head pierced many times by thorns driven down with a staff and a reed upon his head. He was hung and disjointed on the cross. He was not allowed beverage to satisfy his thirst. He was punched in the face after being blindfolded and challenged if he was the Son of God to identify who had done it. That was his dowry. For the rebel driving the nails, you and me, Now that's a love story. How much do you love them? If it's a real love story, there needs to be love in two directions. His love of us is the gospel. But the gospel is supposed to bring about our love of Him. And I hope that it will. I hope that you'll remember the things we covered. Let's chase down another one or two. Quickly. If a man was so great to pay a great dowry for us, there is a character trait about him that we better have in place. Or we're going to feel insecure whenever we're with him because he is so far above us and he's so wealthier than we've ever been and he's had a lifestyle greater than we've ever had, so we're going to feel very inadequate whether we're entertaining guests or making love, we are going to feel inferior. So there's a character trait that needs to be in place, and it's a character trait God requires of us toward each other to be condescending. And it's condescension in a good way, not the evil way that that word is used presently in our language. Romans chapter 12 tells us to be not high-minded, but to condescend to men of low estate. We should get down to their level. Be not... It's Romans chapter 12. I'll get it for you exactly. 
Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. The word means to get down. If you descend, you are going down in altitude from a higher place to a lower place. So the Bible says, mind not high things. We should not be occupied with, well, I want to be around the popular ones, whether we think that consciously or unconsciously. I don't want to be around the powerful ones. We're to get down. Mind not high things. Don't think about high things. Don't think about lofty things. Don't think about your reputation. Don't think about the reputations of others unless you're looking for the ones that are lowly. Then you can do this. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Look for those in the church of a low estate and get down with them. Be not wise in your own conceits. Let me take a few minutes and talk to you about condescension. You read about it last night. If your husband is truly a great man in our comparison to Christ, he is much greater than you. If he's much greater than you, then you need him to believe in condescension. A superior man choosing an inferior woman for marriage, this character trait becomes important. Otherwise, the man's superior traits become very intimidating. You know you're not going to measure up. There's a basic rule of life, my brethren. The great seek and mingle with the great. The beautiful with the beautiful, the rich with the rich, the intelligent with the intelligent, the strong with the strong, and so forth. But we aren't strong, beautiful, or rich. So he better condescend to us. And I appreciate those of you who have already told me how much you appreciated reading Philippians 2 again last night, though you know it well. Let's turn to Philippians 2 and remind ourselves of what it says. Notice that it's a commandment of our religion for us to condescend. And that means to get down to men of low estate. It's a commandment of our religion. So can you guess by implication that since it's a commandment of our religion that there is one who is the best at it of all? And who would that be? But the head of our religion. Our master. The cornerstone of our church. The great example in every aspect of righteousness. Condescension. Any proper reflection on Jesus Christ should put us in the dust. When Isaiah saw Jesus Christ in prophecy back there in Isaiah 6... What did he say? It's a, it's a, it's a word that starts with W. It's short. Whoa. Whoa! Woe is me! For I am undone! I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts! With him being declared thrice holy by the cherubim around him, it crushed Isaiah and revealed to Isaiah how polluted and filthy he still was, though he was a prophet of God. Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I say things that I shouldn't say. The people around me say things they shouldn't say. Words come out of our lips that shouldn't be spoken in the presence of such a holy God. I am defiled. And when we see Jesus Christ that way, and we should see Him that way, we are defiled in His sight. But He condescends to us, doesn't He? What happened in Isaiah 6? The king told an angel to go take a coal of fire from off the altar that was burning and to put it on Isaiah's lips. And then the words were spoken, Thy sin is forgiven and thine iniquity is purged. 
Now, what would you do if you were king and some filthy wretch came in there that had blasted off and blasphemed you? You would make use of the coals of fire. You'd burn them. You wouldn't have that forgiving spirit. And the Bible tells you that. It says that God's ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts, as much higher as the heaven is above the earth. And what it's talking about in Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, is his ability and willingness to forgive and pardon. He condescends to us. We are wretches, yea, rebels in his honest sight, in our own sight, when we see him clearly. Philippians chapter 2, let's see if what it says about the Lord Jesus. Thank you, brothers, at break time for speaking what you were thinking about from last night's reading and this morning's first sermon. In verses 1 through 4, the apostle appeals to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to exhort the church to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be of one accord, of one mind. This is in verse 2. That nobody would do anything through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. See, there's condescension, us getting down to each other. In lowliness of mind, let us each esteem other better than ourselves. This is true Christianity right here. This is what it is. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let us be other-oriented. The mother and wife and grandmother and great-grandmother that departed from us last 17 days ago, she loved the word joy when it was explained as meaning Jesus, others, and you in that order. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and you. And that's what's being taught right here. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Paul had to have unity in the churches, mutual love of each other, Unity of mind, one mind, one accord, nobody getting stri- nobody fighting or looking for vain glory, but in lowliness, all making the others more important than themselves. That's what he needed for the churches of Jesus Christ to be successful. But I want you to notice how he appealed to it. He said in verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. I love the Holy Spirit's wisdom at going after us. When he exhorted by Peter to desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, do you know what his appeal was? It's just like this one. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have we ever tasted that the Lord is gracious? Can we taste it in Ezekiel 16? Can we taste it everywhere else we read? Have we ever tasted that the Lord is gracious? And that's the appeal of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus Christ did should be a weighty enough example and a weighty enough motive that we want to be the way He wants us to be. And the way He wants us to be right here is to humble ourselves and get down and make others and their things more important than our own. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, was there any love described this morning in the dowry that's been paid for your soul? You punched him while he was blindfolded. I punched him. But he loved me. It's an incredible story. It's the gospel story. It's why it's called glad tidings and good news. 
If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Are there any bowels and mercies in the gospel? Yes, 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 yes. Well, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The way that you can fulfill verses 2 through 4 is to have the same mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had. And if you understand what he's done for you from verse 1, then verse 5 is what you want to know so that you can be like him. Let this mind be in you. We can be like the Lord Jesus Christ in condescending to men of low estate and getting down to others and serving them and making their things more important than our things. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was equal with God, because he was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The great God of heaven, the word of God of John 1, 1, became a man, and not just any man, but a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, this is one level of his condescension or humility, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself again, as it were, and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Thank you, Lord. That brother, who's excited right now, who's excited at break time because of the double humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had to humble himself to come from heaven's glory to be a man. Now that's terrible. When you have to become one of us, we are stinking people. Do you know why you have to bathe every day and coat yourself in stuff? Because you stink. We're dying. We're corrupting. We're filthy. Why do we have to clothe ourselves? Because we're ugly. He condescended and became us, but while he was us as a servant, he then humbled himself further to die an ignominious death of the cross. He was twice humbled. Is that condescending? Is that getting down close enough to you? You haven't died for him. But he died for you. He came all the way down, was treated like a common criminal, and hung up on a cross of the Romans. Praise his glorious name. What husband could ever condescend and get down that low? Let's say your father had a great dowry to be paid, and some man came along and paid a great dowry. But if a man was able to pay a great dowry, that means that man is infinitely greater than you, or, or much greater than you. And if he's much greater than you, he's going to be intimidating to you. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. He came down and took our flesh and our nature upon himself and condescended and humbled himself all the way to the death of the cross. Look at Psalm 138 with me. And just glory in this particular aspect by which we compare any man to the Lord Jesus Christ and we find the Scripture truth to be confirmed to our understanding, thou art fairer than the children of men. If a rich man bought by paying a dowry an ugly girl, that is one step of a marriage. The two of them are now come together as husband and wife. But what is she going to feel every time she has to do something for him that she's not going to measure up? So that husband has got to have the trait of condescension and humility 
so that we can run to Him and know that we're going to be received and that our weak efforts will be understood and accepted. Does the Lord Jesus Christ treat us that way? Indeed He does. I want to read you, look at this verse. Psalm 138 and verse 6, Though the Lord be high, yet hath He respect unto the lowly, but the proud He knoweth afar off. Now that respect and that knowing is very different. The respect that he has for the lowly is a loving, accepting respect. And the knowledge that he has of the proud is a condemning, rejecting knowledge of the proud. Though he's high, he has respect to the lowly. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you weren't like that, it's all over for me. Look at Psalm 136. 136 and verse 23, who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. Do you know who was in a very low estate and was remembered? Mary. Mary. You should read her words. He, she couldn't believe from her low estate that the Lord would choose her to be the mother of her Lord. How's that for condescension? Mary, a lowly, lowly girl. Remember, there was no room for them in the inn. Let me tell you a secret about life. There's always room in the inn. Always. Every inn at any time has room if you have enough to get the room. That is the simplest lesson of life. There was no room in the inn for them because they were poor. When it came time to offer the sacrifice for Jesus Christ's birth and to sanctify and purify Mary for giving birth, she gave the poor woman's offering of a couple turtle doves, telling us that they were very poor. But let me tell you, that woman gave birth to and nursed and held and trained up the Lord of glory. And she, and she knew it all. When you go read Luke 1 and 2, she knew what had happened to her. From now on, I'm going to be called blessed. And she knew there was nothing in her except God's choice for her to have His Son. How's that for condescension? She got to feed Him. Clothe Him. Teach Him. Pray with him as a little boy. He was the God-man. He grew in wisdom and stature. He was a little boy that she knelt beside his bed and prayed with him. How's that for condescension? That is just too much. That is just too much. It's wonderful. But this Savior that we have, when we say He is altogether lovely... He is altogether lovely in His condescension to come down to our level, to men of low estate. What does it say here in this text? 136.23, who remembered us in our low estate? Is that the same thing He asks of us in Romans chapter 12? It is indeed. He did it to show us. And He accepts us and approves of us. I'll not turn you to Luke 1. I hope you know Luke 1 and 2 about Mary 
and what she said of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2 where she said the same thing, that that poor despised wife that was ridiculed by wife number one? Remember, Elkanah had two wives. Peninnah was wife number one and had lots of children. Hannah was wife number two. Elkanah loved her, but she didn't have any children. And her prayers in the first ten verses of 1 Samuel 2, it's, it's, an, it's an unbelievably wonderful prayer, but it's praising God for him looking down and seeing her in her miserable condition and giving her Samuel and then giving her three more sons and two more daughters. She knew that God had condescended to her. What did Hagar name God? Thou God seest me. Hagar was a slave. She was an Egyptian. She was pregnant. And her mistress didn't like her. And her mistress had her master's ear. And her master Abraham threw her out. Did God condescend to the Egyptian slave, pregnant and rejected by husband and master. Yes, he found her and spoke to her and said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Now, how's that for condescension? Amen. And she named the Lord that spake unto her there. This is in Genesis 16. If you want, If you want two chapters to read this afternoon, Ezekiel 16 and Genesis 16. Thou God seest me. She had understood that Jehovah was Abraham's God. But here she was, an Egyptian slave, rejected by Abraham, the representative of God on earth, one of them at this time in the age of the patriarchs. But he found her and promised her good things for her and her son. And she named him, Thou God seest me. Examples like this can be found throughout the Scriptures. Since you're in the Psalms, I'll save you time by staying there. Look at Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Here's verse 5. Where do you? St- I love this psalm. Look at verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations. Psalm 113.4 The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Exclamation point. Who is there like the God of the Bible? He has to humble himself or get down to even look at the things that are in heaven. We're talking about angelic creatures that are far beyond humanity in their power and glory. He has to humble himself to get down to them. But look at what it says in verse 7. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. That is his condescension. Who is like unto the Lord our God? Who is like unto the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the high king of heaven. He's the blessed and only potentate. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the firstborn of all of heaven. And in him dwells all the preeminence that God would ever place in anyone but himself. And all things are under his feet except God who put all things under his feet. And yet, and yet, he humbled himself to become in the form of you and me and then in the form of a servant and then to die the death of the cross for you and me. Can you run to Him and be accepted? Can you run to Him and be approved? Will He receive you? 
Him that cometh unto me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, this condescension of the Lord of glory. I am not belittling the human body when I say that you stink. I stink right along with you. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in a certain respect, but we are corruptible beings. We can never get into heaven this way. Our flesh and blood bodies are so ugly and they stink so bad and they would mess up that place so bad, we shall and must be changed. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last 10 verses describe that for us, but He will change us. Oh, that's another mystery of the gospel. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Whether we're alive or dead at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall all be changed to make us fit for heaven. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, For as much then as the... Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's you and me, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now notice who we're reading about. We're reading about in chapter 1, it says in the last part of verse 2, He made the worlds. In verse 3 it says He's the brightness of God's glory. In verse 3, it says he's the express image of God's person. In verse 3, it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. It says in verse 3 that when he had by himself purged our sins, and it also says in verse 3 that he sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. That great Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of his people, was made in flesh and blood to be like us. For as much then as we have flesh and blood, he took on flesh and blood so that he could die and defeat the devil who had the power of death. Verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, verily means this is a true important statement. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't come into this world as a spirit being, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He had flesh and blood like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph did. Wherefore, in all things... It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Who are his brethren? You and me. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And succor meaning help, understand, relate to, strengthen, and assist. Are you grasping that the dowry was an infinite comparison? Men fail, and the Lord Jesus Christ wins. Now in condescension, what man would leave the throne of heaven and come down and humble himself as a man, then the death of the cross, and take upon him our flesh and blood? But we're told he did it. We're told why he did it. That he might be made like unto his brethren. So that he's been, he has suffered being tempted like we have suffered being tempted. And he's able to relate to us and help us. So whenever it's time to serve him. And do you know that you've never had a prayer that's been perfect? You've never prayed a perfect prayer. Listen, tell me the truth. And don't nod your heads. You'll be embarrassed and so will I. Has your mind ever wandered while you were praying? 
Is that the most ridiculous form of prayer that you can imagine? That you were praying to the God of heaven and you couldn't keep your mind down on for three minutes? Isn't our flesh horrible? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. He, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Is that comforting to you? He got down so far with us. None of us live as lowly as the Lord Jesus Christ did. He got down so far and he faced the temptations that we face. And he's able to succor and help us. Our Jesus loves losers. Have I ever preached on that to you? First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying. Now there's a lot of sayings that the world has that aren't faithful at all. But this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You better accept this one because this is the truest thing you're ever going to hear. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. Is that condescension? Can a sinner run to Jesus? Can a woman that the whole city knows is a wicked sinner enter into a crowded room where a rich man is feasting the Lord Jesus Christ, his apostles and other men, and have the Lord Jesus Christ defend her, accept her, comfort her, and encourage her while condemning and criticizing the host? Is that Luke seven thirty six through 50? It is. Praise his glorious name. Do you know what it took to gain entrance to that room and get his acceptance? I'm filthy. I'm a sinner, said the woman with her tears and her kisses and her hair as she bathed the feet of Jesus with her tears. Condescension. He ignored all the important people in that room except to criticize them. And he said, woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Amen. Do you know what the Lord Jesus wants you to know? That he's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. Is that condescension? He said, brethren, at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, see your calling, how that not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich, not many famous, not many wise, and so I'm I'm." Increasing those comparisons a little bit. See how God has chosen the poor, the foolish, the weak, and the base. He's chosen us intentionally from our position so that you can go to Him without ever a worry. When you worship Him and when you pray and your mind wanders, He will accept your prayer if you have made a reasonable effort to pray and the weakness of your mind and the weakness of your flesh took it away. If in listening to the long sermons in this church, your mind wanders from time to time, but you did prepare, you did pray, you did participate, He knows the weakness of your flesh because He had the same. And He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and the weakness of our flesh. Do you know, instead of trying to rise to Him, which we cannot do, we can never make ourselves on His level. Do you know what He says? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due time. Draw, draw nigh to God. Now where are we drawing nigh to Him? Down on this little speck of dust called planet Earth. 
We're drawing nigh to Him and we're doing it in such a weak, pitiful way. What does He say He'll do? You are kidding me. It says that in the Bible? Is that wonderful? We can't, get, we, we can't go to Him that way. But you know what? He comes to our door. Behold, I stand at the door. It's not us going to Him. It's Him coming to us. And what's the big task we have for Him to come in and sup with us? Open the door and I will come in. You mean you're doing everything and all I have to do is open the door? Say, I would love to have supper with you, Lord. Is that all I have to say and push that door open? That's all. Our Lord Jesus Christ has exalted us beggars out of the dunghill to be kings and priests. He's a king. We're kings. He's a priest, the high priest. We're priests. He's made us kings and priests. We can go straight into the presence of God. God, through Jesus Christ, has condescended to men and opened up the way. We can go straight to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a husband. There is nothing like it in the annals of human history, nor can your imagination even come up with something that deserves to be compared to it because there is no comparison here worthy. The Lord Jesus Christ condescended. Where is He now? Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know that, Jesus? Have you believed that, Jesus? Have you obeyed that, Jesus? Have you been baptized in the name of that, Jesus? And would you rather have Jesus than anything this world affords? And since Jesus gave his life for you, what have you given for him? What will you give for him before you go to sleep tonight at 11 o'clock? You have 10 hours in which you can either feed your flesh or you can love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the smallest little things of life will become 10 times more pleasant and rewarding and fulfilling than they are when you're trying to satisfy your flesh and ignoring Him. Much more could be said. You have a Savior, and I have a Savior that deserves our all. When he tells us to mind not high things, but to condescend to men of low estate, he's done it for us on an infinite measure, and us lowering ourselves for each other is really no lowering at all. Because we're all, and I say it respectfully as it can be said, sinful scum saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bless the preaching of this day to the lifting up of our hearts to love your Son, Jesus Christ, more as we consider the dowry paid and the condescension and humility shown in what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. Amen.